Welcome back to Love Babs Love Talk. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. I'm so delighted this morning. I get to talk to Goldie Patrick, who is the director of uh, this wonderful, rich play from the Mississippi Delta that's at the Westport uh, Country Playhouse. And it is a, a dramatic biography uh, by Dr. Indisha Ida Mae Holland um, that was uh, nominated for uh, a Pulitzer. And, uh, and so you're doing this wonderful thing. I was, reading, I was reading a little bit of what they were saying about you in the New York Times. And they quoted you saying, uh, who we are and who we become is so beautifully tied to where we are from. And that's from the Mississippi Delta. Um, and it's a powerful autobiographical, uh, autobiographical journey of how Dr. Indesha uh, uh, Ida May Holland blossomed into her purpose identity and power as a black woman from her experience in her hometown and the people around her. Welcome, Ms. Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank I'm you. I'm excited to talk to you. So tell me about this play. When you got wind of this play, what did you think? Oh, so many things. There are all the things in the world to think. So let me first say, my name is Goldie Estelle Patrick. Goldie is after my grandma, who is named after her grandma, and Estelle is after my great-grandma. All those women come from Alabama, um, though I am born and raised in Detroit. And so, <laughs> you know, and so when I first read it, it, there was a familiarity in terms of the way I have heard stories about the women before me, um, the way I have heard stories about what life was like for Black women in the South, um, and then also all of the nuance of characters uh, resonated with, with um, a feeling of family and home and like community. But then I'll also admit my next thought was as a playwright, as a director, why was this the first time I was reading this? Um, mm. Why wasn't this put in the study of the American canon of theater that I had been studying for 20 years? And so there was this, um, there was this, I, I was able at that moment to transform what felt like um, discontent into a commitment. And so I was like, this story deserves to be told in as many places and on as many stages as possible, not merely because it's such a significant Black story, not merely because it's such a significant Black Southern story, not only because it's such a significant Black woman story, but it's an American story that too often gets erased from American theater. So I was like, it's on and popping. I want to tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And it's not lost on me that you're doing it at the Westport um, country playhouse because you know Westport is 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 part of Fairfield County of Connecticut and you know it's, it's not a black place it's not a At place all. where you would think of a southern story being told of black women and and that's part of the reason why uh at first, you know, I had a conversation uh with Mark the artistic director and asked why are y'all doing the show because I have to know that because that, that, that informs my ability to say, yes, I can commit to what your vision is. Or say, no, I, that doesn't align with what my vision for this story would be. And um, his commitment to telling this story was very similar than, to my desire, which is that Dr. Indesha Ida Mae Holland should be celebrated. And this was about her. And because he knew her from working with her at the first premiere of the show, um, there there's something that I find very, um, very, significant about um, honoring ancestral requests and because part of her request 
when she was living was having the show produced in these various environments and spaces it felt it felt like a great opportunity to commit that to say you don't get the privilege of ignoring all stories because you live in a certain community or you have a certain class or you have whatever privileges you think you have that doesn't get to um that doesn't get to permit you to ignore all the stories that exist that are beautifully written so i was like let us bring this story to westport to the westport community so that they can see that this is a woman who is a giant a literary giant and have them ask the same questions of themselves like wow why didn't i know about her she deserves to be celebrated oh, I, so, I love the way that you frame that that they don't get to not have these stories too like i that's just that's i think for me um that's a critical piece of the bipoc um lens in which we get to be in these spaces do you know what i mean because i think we're always absolutely. questioning when we're in these spaces, you know, um, should we be in these spaces? You know, why can't I just go do this in Harlem all the time? Or, but you just really said a beautiful thing about yes, they they deserve to have these these stories told to them too, and it doesn't matter that wherever they're from, they get to hear these stories too. Yeah, it's so important. You know, my uh, the the foundation of my pedagogy and approach as a director and a playwright is as a cultural worker. I consider myself that as much as I consider myself any artistic form or professional. Um, I spent years working, um, building a theater for black women and girls for a black woman audience. And so I feel very well versed in how to do that. And so coming into this um, production, I centered that focus and it was an opportunity to then be in conversation and in some spaces facilitation at Westport about what does it mean to not only produce a black show, but to ask black artists to come into a space that has not been inviting in the past, that has a history rooted in actually uh, separating and, and um, sending out its black residents because we did a, a walking tour of the African-American history of Westport so that we understood the land we were on. We understood the ancestors of this space before us. And so in that approach, one for the specificity of Westport, we said, we're doing this for all of the black folk, all of the formerly enslaved, all of the self-emancipated, all of the people whose history in Westport is erased. We're doing that because they are here. They were here, they built this city. And so um, there's a beautiful reverence that the cast and the crew has felt about telling and the Westport staff that went on the tour with us. You know, we're all on the same page around, there's a community of Westport that's called 21st Street and a Half. And it was the vibrant black community. And I, a lot did of not, the, I don't know any of this story, any of this history. Listen, it was an amazing, the Westport Historical uh, Museum is a phenom, like, they they went in on with us and so when we learned about that community much of which were people who were part of the great migration north who came from the south looking for work and were able to find labor in connecticut in westport because they were able to work the port and and in that community and then they were um they were uh sent out their building was burned to the ground because of the politics of wanting to have to pay the taxes etc cetera, etc cetera. and so those those people were displaced and so there's this this beating heart in us to bring those people who are much like our characters and our story to bring their story to life here and so we've been working with the historical we've been working with um 
the folks over there to tell these stories so that it's not just rooted in just Mississippi. It's not just rooted in the fantasy of these characters, but these are part of an American history and legacy that too has its footprint in Westport. I love this. I love this. I love this. So that's a good foundation to sort of tell this story and transport people through time and space uh, about this particular Black woman and her, I would say, would you say coming of age, coming of age, coming into her own? It's a, it is. It's a coming of age. It's a coming in a voice. It's a coming in a power. Um, it's a coming into understanding. It's all of that. All so, of that. So, so, so the miss uh, from the Mississippi Delta. So give me a sense of what what will we what can we expect? What what is the story? Ooh, I love that question because it's impossible to answer. <laughs> I, I think it depends on how you experience theater. I personally experience theater from a very sacred, communal, joyful place. So I think there's one part of in terms of what they expect. Expect to be a part of the storytelling. This is not, I don't do that sit back and watch thing. I do that lean in and testify thing. So there is, there's the invitation to be present in this story. When you see and hear people that are familiar to you, go ahead and respond and let them know, you know, like, oh, no, I know exactly what's about to happen. There's that, there's that part. But then there's also this, um, ama this astounding specificity to her story. So I would say, have a very open ear to listen um, because she's a beautiful, she was a beautiful writer. And uh, what I love about this piece in particular, and I've talked to the cast of three black women, um, that it's written for black women to play. And that's uh, significant because it's not watered down. It's written in dialect. It's written and performed in tempo of a Southern draw. And uh, it's very much, a play that can be done sitting on the porch where you talk about, you know, Uncle Johnny who used to live across the street from Mary. Well, Mary's not her real name. She go by Mary now, but she used to be Susan because she was, but she big Susan daughter. So big Susan daughter, Mary, how she live across the street from Uncle Johnny, Uncle Johnny third son, Richard, he came over like, yeah, that's the way the story is told. Oh, I you know? love it. <laughs> yes, so do I. So I would say uh, have that open ear so that you can catch the magic in between the storytelling. And then ultimately um, one of the big things that I'm hoping our audiences take from this is that there is a commitment to continue watering what needs to grow, whether it's in yourself, whether it's in another generation, whether it's in your purpose or your your community activism. You know, Dr. Indesha was was very adamant about making sure that her work lived on. And so I charge our audience to watch this one woman's story as an example of how you water what's important to you to make sure it, it goes on and grows. I love it. Now I'm a I'm a huge August Wilson fan. Huge. Yes. Huge. Huge. What's and, your favorite uh, play? Oh my God. I, I, I don't think I have a favorite, but I'm gonna go, I want to go and see the piano lesson yet again um yes. on Broadway with uh, uh uh the young Mr. Washington and Samuel Jackson. And uh, yes. I've seen it a good like I've seen these plays all just about all over the world in different places and by different people and I and I and I love the work of this cap capturing the century I think the only play I have not seen in the century is uh um uh Gem of the Ocean that's the only one I have not and I've been chasing this for decades right like, oh yeah chasing it like yeah I haven't seen it so so 
when I think about uh, great playwrights, um, August Wilson is always comes to mind. But of course, you know Lorraine Hansberry and 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 um, uh, Pearl Cleage and 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 folks who I don't think voices are centered enough in theater. Except, I mean, we see Raisin in the Sun. Like when they think of black plays, that's yep. always trotted out. Raisin in the Sun, mm-hmm. and, and no shade to Lorraine Hansberry. I I loved it. I directed it when I was in college. But yes. there are other voices out there. <laughs> there are so many other voices. There, there are so many other voices. And as a playwright, um, I, you know, it's an interesting world where you get. Um, I, I have the, I have the honor of being privy to production conversations, and it goes back to like the four or five playwrights that white institutions are most familiar and comfortable with producing. Um, and it can be discouraging knowing that there are so many other voices. And I personally am a playwright who does not see myself necessarily in the lens of only those five playwrights. I love Intazaki. I am a poet playwright, you know, but I also know that there are playwrights before me that I am as much as I am of Intazaki, I am of Ed Bullens. And as much as I am of Ed Bullens, I am of the playwright that I have yet to learn about because that playwright wasn't mentioned in the conversation of American theater. And that what that's what becomes very important to me. How do we expand and include more playwrights that, especially the ones that start to disrupt the American theater system because it wasn't serving their audiences. And so, um, I think one of the things I really appreciate about Dr. Ida Mae Holland is that she does not have your standard approach and and um, trajectory into American theater. She is not of an Ivy background. She is not of um, this has been my lifelong dream. She came into performing or the idea of loving performing from, you know, doing a little striptease <laughs> when she was 16. <laughs> And that's when she was like, I love the stage, you know, but that is as significant. How many of us came into a love and appreciation for performing from being at church and watching people show out and understanding that there was something sacred in the freedom of being able to be in front of a group and be and 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 tell a story or tell a gospel or how many of us came into loving performing from doing dance routines in our parents' living room, you know, to the Jackson Five. All of those are as valuable as any formal training. And so expanding who gets involved and expanding who gets mentioned is part of my work as a playwright and as a director. And this seems to fall in line with that. So, so Golda, do you think it helps or it makes sense or it's productive to us when we are starting to sort of see um, BIPOC folks take over, um, start running um, arts performing institutions or arts producing institutions, does that help widen the gate to allow for these um, different kinds of playwright voices to be heard? I mean, does that, does that help? Not necessarily. And I know this is going to be controversial, but not necessarily. Um, I think the, the challenge we're up against in um, American theater uh, specifically is that now that attention has been brought on the many ways that it has perpetuated a very uh, white supremacist mentality and a very exclusive, a very classist uh, mentality, the, the initial response was to resist that and say, look, we can do something different. And that's, that's, that's an okay thought. 
but it also um, invites performative action. And sometimes mm. the performative action is by putting a person that they deem has been on the outside, putting them on, on the inside. That does not mean that that person has power. That does not mean that person has influence. That means that that person has access, which does not mean that other people of a disenfranchised community then have access, right? So when we get caught up on um, the, the appearance of something, whether it's a person's identity appearance or whether it's their position, the appearance of their position, we lose, I think we lose focus of what's important. It's a value system. I'd rather have a white accomplice who is about the same political beliefs that I'm about than to have a black person in power that is not aligned with what I think is just and political. And I think sometimes we confuse someone's um, identity with their politics and they are different. There are plenty of black people that were not part of a black arts movement. There are plenty of black people that, <laughs> look, Kanye West exists, right? So we can't just say that being of color is enough. We can't just say being a woman. 53% of women voted in the worst interest of the larger percent of women. So we gotta move past just identity appearance and start looking at people's values and politics and examining that and how that activates their position in any institution or community. You know, I think that is next level thinking because, you know, the pandemic sort of, you know, illuminated for many people the idea that there weren't enough centered people of color in these spaces. It just, mm -hmm. it just wasn't. And it's not enough to have a, a black director directing white plays or just <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like yes, I, I love the clock. Don't get me wrong. I, I will go see a play for a lot of different reasons. It doesn't matter. But I, I think there is something to be to be said what you said about it, the, the politics and it has to align and their beliefs have to align. It can't just be, well, they're black. No, nope. because you know, what did Zora Neale Hurston say? You know, all, kin all skin folk ain't kin folk. Yes. You know, and, and what's, you know, what I love and, and I'll give you a, a concrete example. So the design team and technical team for uh, this play. As a result of the pandemic, what we have seen, which is great, is that lots of Black designers, lots of Black stage managers, lots of Black actors and directors are being hired in droves by theaters now because there is a exposure on the need to include them, which is wonderful. So when it came time to build the team, I was very conscious of this, right? And so all the asks went out to all the places. My, my first ask for my designer is a white man who is brilliant, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, right? And when we had our initial meeting, his first question to me is, what made you ask me as a white man to work on this very Black show? And I was like, that, that. You know, he was like, okay, I just needed to check that we were on the same page. And he, is, he, is, he has done amazing work, he and his assistant, um, who is a Black woman, have done amazing work on understanding and being centered in what it is to tell this woman's story, culturally, uh, politically, socially. And, and, and so if I had gotten solely caught up on identity, I would have just tried to find a black designer opposed to finding a designer who aligned with what I politically thought was at the center. My stage manager is a white woman from Mississippi who fully understands and works with the utmost cultural awareness and sensitivity with my cast and the rest of the design team. 
And so there's this beautiful um, allyship and, and community that's being built that while we are a 85% cast and crew, that we are 100% aligned in our values. And that's what's important. I love this. So tell me about this cast. Tell me about these women you get to work with and direct. me smiling. <laughs> I love them. And perhaps more than I love them, I love the way they love each other. Um, when we started this process, I reached out to Ann James, who's an extraordinary director and intimacy coach um, who came in. And we don't have scenes that are traditional in the intimacy field uh, or what would be considered intimacy in theater. But I needed someone to support my actresses working on this very uh, Black woman show that does have moments of trauma, knowing that they would be performing it in a white space and potentially for always a white audience. So what would it mean for them to be able to do the work, leave their souls and spirits on the stage and take all the parts of them that they needed to when they left? And what the bonding that they did at the beginning, it shows up on stage today. They are extraordinary. They're young actresses that are full of life and, and truth. They hold each other up in all the ways, both artistically and then also just that sisterhood thing you have. They come from everywhere from Ohio and Memphis and California and Detroit, and they didn't know each other before this. But what they have done in this process is sharpen each other as artists, hold each other as women, and really, really um, testify to something older than them. They're young, they're younger, but they embody the spirit of these old women as if they knew. Um, I'm, I'm floored by them. I think they do uh, tremendous work and it's an honor to work with Claudia, Tamisha, and Erin. That's the crew. <laughs> we got all kinds of nicknames for each other, but that's the crew of the women who are doing the, the heavy lifting on stage. And they play multiple characters. So they each play Dr. Adesha Holland. They each play um, like six other characters. They just transform, they sing, they do all the things, all the things. Oh, I love it. Now, is this, your, is this your first introduction to this particular play? It is, it is. And so would you say you would direct it again? Would you direct it I, again somewhere else? And, and if you could direct it anywhere, bring it anywhere, where would you take it? Ooh, yes, I would direct this again. I, I say yes, I ultimately just kind of sit and listen to what spirit and ancestors tell me I should or shouldn't be doing. Most of the time I'm obedient. Um, so if they led me back to it, I would do it. I would love to do this show in the South. I would love to do this show in Jackson, Mississippi. I would love to do it in Greenwood, Mississippi. I'd love to do it in Mobile, Alabama or Birmingham, Alabama. I would love more than that to do it possibly even with, um, I, of course I do regional theater. I think there's something magical about it living in a very intimate space like a community theater. Because this is our story. And it's our story in a way that I want, I want everybody. I want people who know these people to see themselves when they see it. Mm, I love that. I love that. So, so what do you see, um, uh, Goldie, on the artistic landscape for, for women of color like yourself, playwrights and directors and people who um, are doing this work? I, um. I woke up this morning and saw this uh, video of one of my favorite writers and people uh, for what I know of her, Audre Lorde. Oh, yes. About, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Yeah, 
she was uh, she was talking about what does it feel to what does it mean to live in an identity that is on the outside on the outside of a mainstream or on the outside of what is centered as norms um and uh she was just talking about how there's a natural um cultivated survival as a result of that you learn how to survive and um and i think what I would want to see on the landscape and on the horizon for uh, Black women, for Latina women, for women of the First Nations, Indigenous women, for Asian women, for women of multi-ethnicity at one time, um, I'd love for us to see to make our own. I think that's what it requires. I think we cannot expect white theater to envision our uh freedom our liberation it's not it's not it's not theirs to do and i don't think they have the experiences of our survival to do it so i think while they have access to the resources and the funding ultimately it's for us to make our bold radical ask and sometimes the ask is to get out of our way mm -hmm. sometimes the ask isn't to let us in sometimes the ask is to get off of our land so we can build what we want to build and that's what i would want to see us to build and center and put forward our stories, our voices, our talents, and produce our work. So, you know, there's so much to be said about uh, trauma. And so many of our stories start from a place of trauma. Mm -hmm. um, do we ever do we ever get to a place where we don't lead from our trauma or we don't center our trauma? I mean, can we can we separate out? Do we want to separate out? from always having a trauma-based story? That's a great question. I feel like I have that conversation so often because so many of the popular plays are rooted in or centered on trauma. And I think what I've learned in this process because um, very, very famously known, Dr. Howland uh, was raped when she was 11 years old. And when she was raped, she was given $5. And that established um, a mentality in her to commodify her sexuality. And so she became a sex worker soon after. And she did that. And that ultimately led her into SNCC. Um, <clears throat> and so there's this, this part of it for me that when I first read it, I was like, oh gosh, I can't do this. Like no more trauma. But then I had to, in this process of, of really working with the text, had to think of, who is it traumatizing for? And I think that becomes the, the responsibility of the director. If I staged this where I centered the trauma and spotlighted the trauma and then took the moment for the trauma and we all felt it and I was like, oh, we are having a human experience because we are sitting deep in the grief and the trauma. I am exploiting her trauma. Wow. Black folk know trauma in America. Black, Black folk know joy in America. Black folks know uh, music in America. Black folks know God deeper than I think a lot of anybody else in America because we've known trauma. Our trauma has also been the root for us having an unshakable faith that a lot of people don't talk about the connectedness of that. And so it's about not putting the emphasis on the trauma, acknowledging that it happened, but putting the emphasis on the genius that grows from being so resilient beyond the trauma. I don't know if any other people in this country, I don't know if white folks, let me be specific, I don't know if white Americans could experience the oppression that they have historically uh, put on other communities and survive the way the other communities have. 
And part of the challenge is white folks in America have not experienced that level of oppression. So it's easy for them to exploit it as a phenom because they've never experienced it. Those of us who have experienced and survived it understand it as part of a greater story. So the obligation becomes to tell the greater story beyond the trauma without ignoring it, but just beyond that. You know, it's not just that genocide happened to First Nations in this country. It's that the attempts of genocide happened and they survived and thrived in spite of it. I love that. Absolutely. Because, oh, oh. you know, I, I, I have this whole, I don't know if I could take another slave porn. I don't know if Listen. I could take another, you know, and I know these stories are rich and they and they and they need to find a home and a place. But man, it has been exhausting. <laughs> it's too exhausting. And don't nobody want that. I will tell you, I, I, am a, I walk with ancestors. They, they roll with me everywhere I go. And I have to explain oftentimes when it comes to the exploitation of slavery in America, that too much of that is built on the assumption that it is a passive experience. Africans were not slaves in America. We were, they were enslaved, which meant they constantly resisted the institution of slavery. So when you put that in front of an audience, you assume that everyone will have a passive experience. No, no, I'm going to be the one to get mad, to start punching people. I'm a descendant of Nat Turner. Like, that's what I'm going through. I'm going to be Denmark Vesey in the space. I'm not, me and Harriet roll tight. I'm pushing stuff. So, so even that idea of telling a, a story of slavery, you, I think there's a responsibility to think about what happens if you tell a story of slavery, but from the side of those that revolted, not from the side of those that had to find a docile way in. What, what if you scare people to how they got free? Like, no, we about to, we coming in the audience right now. We picking up people that look like descendants. They got to go. <laughs> That's why they don't let me in them play. They don't let me. <laughs> this is this has been one of the best conversations I've had. <laughs> I want to tell people Goldie Patrick is the director of the play uh, from the Mississippi Delta. It is running at the West uh, Westport Country Playhouse from October 18th through the 30th. And I'm gonna tell you, it, it, listen, I'm gonna suggest people go see this play, even if they think that it's gonna be trauma filled, I think you should go just on the strength of this conversation with the director because she is good people and I could feel oh. it in my bones. So y'all go Thank and you. see this, this play. I'm, I'm gonna make it my business to, to come and see this play. Cause I oh, was on the fence you. about it, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure. I don't I... do trauma. Mm-mm. We don't, <laughs> this is not the story of, this is the story of how a woman from Greenwood, Mississippi, who was not expected to learn how to read because she was supposed to be a sharecropper's daughter, right? This is how she decided that she would take her own future into her hands. She self-educated herself, joined one of the most radical black power movements in American history with SNCC. She advocated across this country for Black people's rights in this country, went on to educate herself further and get a master's and a doctorate. And she got a doctorate in her mother's name so that the women before her could hold her prestige with her. This is what this story is about. And we got a Black Night for the first time ever at Westport. Black Night is on the 19th. It's called Black Excellence Night. It's pay what you can. We having a whole deal about it. And we will be celebrating the beauty of Blackness 
And we are asking people who come to the show to put their money where their mouths are and to donate to the Mississippi water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. Oh my which is gosh. part of this legacy. So we're not going to talk about what we have up here and leave our brothers and sisters behind in Jackson, Mississippi who need clean water. So we tying it all together. Please come out, y'all. This is a story for us. Oh my God. It has been my perfect honor to, to talk with you, Miss Goldie E. Patrick. I've enjoyed this conversation. This is been an amazing black experience and i'm glad to have had it with you and uh when i come to the theater i'm gonna I'm see if i can sneak back and meet you because i yes, got to let shake me know your head you know. we got you we got you and you are absolutely every piece of fabulous that your name does say thank you for making it Thank you, girl. Thank you. So listen, I know you got to get back because you in rehearsals and you're getting it all pulled together. Thank you for your time and your energy and your commitment to our people, for our people, to our people. I am forever grateful. Thank you. I am as well for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Harry Drills. This was a rich conversation. Play me out. Y'all have a good weekend. I will see y'all. Uh, catch me at the, the library at 2.30 having the Huey Newton conversation. And uh, I will see y'all over the weekend. Mm -hmm.